Welcome to Amplify, the Revolution Her podcast, dedicated to uplifting, empowering, and amplifying women's voices globally. Our community is a fierce collective of women who are ready to live the lives they always dreamed they would. Together, our strength as inspiring and ambitious women is truly unstoppable. I'm Maria Locker, founder and CEO of Revolution Her. And I'm your co-host, Grace Moores, founding partner of Revolution Her. And today we're talking about how to grow your career in a male-dominated industry with Val Upfold. All right. So Val has worked in the hospitality industry for several decades in both hotels and restaurants. She's worked in Canada and Australia in various capacities, including restaurant manager, sommelier, and HR director. She worked with Oliver and Bonaccini Hospitality for 15 years, five in a manager and sommelier role at the acclaimed Canoe Restaurant in Toronto, and 10 as the HR director for the company. Starting the HR department from the ground up, Val developed all of ONB's HR processes, including training and development programs, succession planning, and complete recruitment strategies, helping to take them from 100 employees to over 1,500. In addition, Val conducts food television casting with an eye for placing the best talent in front of the camera. She's now been recruiting in hospitality for 10, over 10 years and offers HR consulting, making her a go-to for some of the hospitality industry's most known and loved brands. Please help us welcome Val Upfold. Hi, Val. Hello. Hi, Maria. Hi, Grace. How are you? We're good. good. We're, We're very <laughs> excited to have you today. We I'm are. excited to be here. Well, and this is something we haven't talked about yet here on our podcast, this idea of succeeding in your career, even if you're in a male-dominated industry. So we're really excited to dive right in, and we're going to start with our first question. We're just going to go right from the top. Let's do it. Um, So we want to know really where and how your journey began. Hmm. I guess if we go back to the very start... Um, I bartended and served all through university. I then went to Australia and I guess they recognized some sort of leadership thing in me and that they asked me if I wanted to get to management. And I said, sure, why not? I'll try anything. So I started managing restaurants and sort of never went back into it. So I did business and HR at university. I left when traveling, ended up working in restaurants, and then I stayed in it like a lot of people did back in the day. I think there's more people that go to school for it now. Um, and then when I moved back to Toronto, I had my eyes set on canoe and through applying and I somehow got the role uh, at canoe, which was one of, you know, the best restaurants at the time and, and worked there for a few years. Um, and then, I mean, there's a whole big, long story about how I got into HR. I don't know if you want me to get into that right now. Sure. Um, yeah. Okay. So when I was working there, I was young, I was 27. Everyone that worked for me was older, the servers, the career servers there, much older men that would work for me. And so I really had to prove myself coming out of not much experience in fine dining. Um, So I took a, I started taking wine courses, got my sommelier designation. So that was sort of, you know, my my way of earning some respect and and one, one way of earning the respect of that. Um, And then after about five years in, I was, you know, getting tired and thinking I wanted to get married and have kids And so it's a hard industry to do that in because you're working nights and weekends, crazy hours. 
standing on your feet all day for 12 hours a day. And so I pitched why Oliver and Bonaccini, which everyone knows now is a large company, but at the time had three restaurants. I pitched to Peter and Michael, the owners, uh, why they needed an HR person, why they needed an HR department. So pitched that for about a year, um, writing proposal after proposal and talking to them. And it was a small company, so I was able to have that face time with the owners. And then finally, after about a year, they're like, okay, 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 just, just do it. Just do it. Come on, just do it. Like we're sick of talking about it. And so that's how that started. The, and then I started doing, developing all their programs and grew it from, you know, a small company to, I think when I left, there was, I don't know, probably close to 20 restaurants and close to 2000 employees. Um, and then I got into recruiting and started doing that for hospitality. So executive and managers within the hospitality space. So Amazing. restaurants, hotels, clubs, entertainment, all that kind of stuff. Wow. What a journey that, yeah. yeah, you know, and, and, and I love that it's not just this straight line of, you know, one thing, then one thing, you know, you really have touched on so many different areas within the industry, which is, which is really exciting. And we're going to dive in a little bit more um, about what those areas have meant for you. Well, I'll yes. turn it over to Grace. So working in a traditionally male-dominated industry can be very difficult. Mm -hmm. So, and we see a lot from the stats in terms of less women get promoted. Um, we don't earn as much. There's less support. There's bias towards women. What tips do you have for helping us navigate those areas? Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I just went to a woman in tourism and hospitality conference a couple of weeks ago, and it was all about, it was all women. And the stats are quite astounding, you know, still something like, I, they're not being exactly right out of my notes, but something like 17% of, I think it was 12% of women in hospitality in the highest levels are women, 12%. But out of that 12%, the majority of them are in HR, which is typically a, a women-led industry. So the whole hospitality is male driven, especially in the operations part, which would be the restaurants on the floor kind of thing. Um, I think for me, when I, when I think about this and people have asked me this lots of times, I think the thing with me is, is that I have a very specific sort of personality, sort of a no nonsense. I don't let things get in my way. I just knock them down and keep going. Um, and so, and I recognize that not everyone is like that. Uh, and so I think there's like lots of tips. And when I was in HR, there would often be women and men, but we're talking about women specifically, that would come to me for advice on things. And that would often be one of the things they would ask because there were so many men and these young women would come to me to ask for advice on, on how to be. And there are tons of, I don't know how much you want me to get into, but tons of like sort of tips and strategies that I would help them with to, to help them navigate that. And I think there's still you know, they, they, they work, they're things that work. And I think maybe they came more naturally to me because it's just my innate personality, but they are things that can, you know, that you can practice and learn, I think. Yeah. What would be your top three then? Um, well, the one thing that I think was big for me was caring more about being respected than being liked. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, sure. There was lots of people that like me in, in those roles, but I, but there was also lots of pushback and I had, I just had to not worry about that. And again, that was innate to me, but even telling someone that sort of sometimes can flip a switch to say, Oh yeah, that's right. I guess I don't really need to, as long as they respect me, I don't, it doesn't matter if they really like me. So I think just telling someone that it, it gets them thinking about that. Mm -hmm. um, 
finding your allies. And this is something that I certainly did when I, when I started at Canoe, being this young female with my employees being older men, is sort of finding maybe that informal leader um, and sitting, and I did that, found it and sat down with them and just bring them to your side, you know, explaining how you're feeling, what you're navigating and asking them to help you with that. So it's just being, you know, having a straight conversation and letting them know how you feel. And that really does go a long way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the other thing would be is, you know, seeking out and from it's harder, I guess this is a harder part, but seeking out female allies as well. So whether it doesn't have to be someone in the same um, industry, even this, it would be helpful if it's in the same company, but if you're in a male dominated company, it's finding those allies that you can sort of bounce ideas off of or talk to and just feeling if you're not getting that at work, that you're getting that from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, and I think a lot of the big companies now do that. They set up the mentorship programs, but even smaller companies, you can do that like ad hoc kind of things where you're just figuring out for yourself and coming up with talking to people and making your own sort of informal groups, I think. Yeah. And it doesn't take much, right. To find people that you're aligned with that you can just bounce ideas off of, or just vent to, um, you know, sometimes you're not looking for someone to fix a problem necessarily, but just being able to talk through it, uh, can be a huge stepping stone, right? Those Mm -hmm. are great tips. Now I'm going to, I'm going to dive into some challenges that might've come your way uh, along the journey because you've, you know, your career, you've been through all aspects of the industry, right? You've been on the floor as a manager, you've been a sommelier, um, you've been an executive in hospitality, and now you're HR consulting and recruiting on your own. So I'd love to know some of the challenges that might've come up along the way that have helped to shape the lessons you've learned and, and the success that you've gotten. Um, I mean, there certainly has been challenges. Um, I think the one thing, if we're talking about, and this is probably more female, this is more female, or just as after having kids, <coughs> excuse me, after having my first and not wanting to go back in a, in a full-time capacity at the beginning, which I think a lot of women struggle with. And I still find it astounding that when I have conversations with people now, it's always the woman that says to me, I need to figure out an, another way to, to do work. It's, uh, it's, it's astounding to me, but it still happens, but I was in the same way. Um, so I decided that I would do part-time. I'd go back three days a week. And that certainly was a big challenge. But what I did um, is, is come up with a plan, came up several plans, actually, and wrote them down and then set up a meeting with Peter and Michael, the same two guys I just spoke about. They were owners of the company. And went to them and had it all laid out. This is what I want to do. These are how I'm going to do it. These are the people that can do the other two days a week. This is how much money this could save you. This is, you know, I, I laid it out very clearly in three different, I think I had three different ways I could do it. And then presented it to them. So I went to them with a solution, I think. So that was a challenge too. There wasn't anyone at the time that was working part-time, especially in a management role, especially in a head office role. Um, but I think that's what helped me through that challenge was that I went to them. I, same thing as I did when I wanted an HR job, I just had it all written out and went to them and said, this is what's going to happen. Right. Um, and I think that, I mean, I think that's a, a lot of challenge for, for a lot of people. And I think it's also pre-planning stuff. So I can't tell you also how many times women will call me 
or for that matter, men to say, I need to find a way out of working on the floor, but they haven't thought about it. And it's almost a bit too late because they haven't thought it through. So it's a lot of pre-planning, I think. And that's a challenge in hospitality, pre-planning what you're going to do. Don't, you know, it's harder for you to call me later down the line. You worked for 10 years on the floor, but you haven't done anything to, you know, increase your skills or, or figured out how you're going to get out of it. So I think being solution oriented is a massive, massive thing that people need to be. Yeah, I love that. I think that's really great advice in terms of showing, not going to them with a problem, as it were, but going to them with a solution and how it can benefit them um, is, I I think, is key, really. So, yeah. yeah, I want to touch, though, before we move on from that, I want to touch on some of those solutions. Um, You know, when someone does come to you and says, you know, hi, I'm, you know, Val, I want to talk about my options moving forward. What are some of those ways specific to the hospitality industry that you are looking for people to upskill? Like what should they be doing? When they're coming to me now as a recruiter. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the one thing I do do is I send um, a form to figure out what's important to them. So it's not just, they also have to figure out what is important to them outside of work. I think it's the first thing I tell them to do. Is it, what's your number one motivator? Is it, more money? Is it less hours? Mm. Is it, I don't know, more work-life balance or whatever it is. They need to figure out that first, because oftentimes when they want to get out of, you know, working on the floor and operations, they're going to take a pay cut. So if money is the number one thing in their mind, then it's, I can't, I'm not really going to be able to help or it's, it's just sort of a dead end. So if they come to me and say, you know, I want to get into HR, I'm really good at training people, or I want to get into marketing, I get how Instagram works. Then it's just me being against my personality, very pragmatic and black and white and say, well, you know, the fact of the matter is for all those roles, you need an education. It doesn't just matter if you're good at training, you need to, it's a university degree and then a a nationwide exam, or you have to go to social marketing, media training or whatever. So I think that's, that's the number one thing. If they haven't done anything, then I can tell them what they can do, but they need to be okay with taking a pay cut. Sure, they can get an HR, but now they're going to have to do an HR course that will likely take them a few years. And when they finish that, they're going to take a massive pay cut, knowing that eventually they can make more money. But that's, and then if, if they're not able to do that, it, it is it is a hard thing. I think it's telling them that it's probably best to stay in their current role or their current company and look for a way to change a job within their own company because they're more likely like me to be put into an HR role or a head office role. If you're already in there and they know you than for someone to hire you from the outside. Makes sense. So would that be the same then for say outside of the um, hospitality industry? So if we have any listeners that are maybe looking to change roles or change careers, what tips would you have for them for standing out to new employers? I mean, I think it's a a bit of a different thing because these, it depends on what sort of industry again. I think that these people that are in these restaurant manager or I'm I'm just speaking about restaurants really now. So it could be any hospital. I do all hospitality, but I, I think because so many roles are already specialized and they already have like a schooling or a professional designation or something attached to them 
that they can change industries easier. Yeah. So if they're at H, if they're doing, I keep going back to HR just because that's my background, but say they're HR for a transportation company, it's easier for them to move into HR in a manufacturing company. But if they're marketing in a manufacturing company, they can't move into HR in a, so, and yeah. you know what I mean? Like it's, they're, if they're working in hospitality, then sure they can be like a retail manager or yeah. move into that, that sort of thing. But without going back to school, I mean, things like recruiting, I would tell we were just recruiting or any sort of sales role. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that people can move into that you don't necessarily need, you know, an education or a professional background, but can still be a great career and work, you know, different hours. But I think, I think it's more specific on industry, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Well- And it's finding those leadership opportunities, right? I think when you're someone who's been in an industry for X number of years, you've gotten a breadth of knowledge the way you you did, right? You're able to kind of see a business or an industry from many different angles, as long as there's that path that they're, if that's what they want, if they're looking at a path, right? Some people Mm -hmm. want to stay on the floor. Like I have friends that have been in hospitality on the floor for decades and love it and can't think of doing anything else, right? That's what they love to do. But Mm -hmm. if that is a path that you want to explore, what are some of the leadership opportunities that you would recommend if someone comes to you and says, okay, I'm ready to start looking at other options? Where do they start? Meaning to get out of operations, but stay in hospitality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I, what I mean is that having that education piece is important and that's what I'm always stressing, but if they don't want to, it's easier to move into a a leadership role off the floor in the same company, I would think. And that same thing often would require a pay cut. When I moved from being a manager of canoe into being HR, I took a huge pay cut and then eventually you get to be more. Um, But it's starting the same thing. And I think you see that a lot with, with the larger companies. And again, I would go back to OMB because that's my background. Someone that was, for example, a manager at a restaurant uh, was doing, had done marketing, wants to get into marketing. Lots of those times they would start as a coordinator in the marketing department. Or again, it's just having to be flexible and starting at a lower role to get into a leadership role through changing your job description completely. Because a lot of working on the floor is, you know, it's, it's guest interactions it's it's a different sort of thing than sitting in an office so i think for sure t- you need to take a step back to m- take a step up i like yeah. that taking a yeah. step back to take a step up mm-hmm. so let's go back to talking about women because you know there's so many <laughs> issues that have come up especially with covid you know being really prevalent in terms of women taking a back seat, we've kind of regressed in terms of the progress for women, but I'd love if you could share, you know, what do you hope to see in the future for women as we continue to work towards, you know, breaking the glass ceiling, having more women in executive leadership roles, finding that gender pay gap, and finally kind of looking at equity and leveling the playing field. Like what is your hope that we can continue to see moving forward? And that's an interesting thing. We all spoke about that at that conference a couple of weeks ago. And you're right. Women, unfortunately, we're further behind now than we were five years ago in lots of different areas in the world with, with all sorts of things. So we have taken it. But as far as women in the workforce, I think the one thing 
that I would like to see more of, and I think we've spoken about this a bit, is women having women in executive positions have to take an active role in pulling people up with them, pulling yeah. women up with them. Because what happens is women, because there's not many of us in the executive level or the higher levels, we're always looking up so we can keep moving up in our career. But when we're looking up, we're only trying, we're only seeing the men. So we also need to look down and like bring people up with us because we all know, and that comes with all sorts of any sort of diversity hiring or, you know, in a company is that you have to, you just have to pull people up with you because or Mm -hmm. else we're all, we're not going to get ahead. It's a, you know, and that whole, and and that's not to say there, you know, there's not lots of men that are trying to, you know, increase the percentage of women in their workforce and, but yeah, pulling them up. And the other thing that, and I just actually was talking, doing a a thing, a, a reel about this today is that workplaces also need to look at different ways to organize their hours. If women are the primary caregivers, and I don't know how that's going to change, it doesn't seem to be changing, then workplaces, instead of losing really smart, capable women, they need to reevaluate what their workplace looks like. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not all, it doesn't all have to be work from home. It could be part-time work, it could be job sharing, like I did with HR thing, it could be flex time, it could be four-day work weeks. But workplaces have to change. We're always talking about how women have to change to fit into these industries or to move ahead. But workplaces, women don't always, don't, women don't have to be the problem. The work is a problem. So let's like fix yeah. that inherent way that we, you know, manage our workforce and, and look at things differently. We want to keep women around and keep them because like any diversity hiring or promotions, it gives you a whole other perspective and way of looking at things we're missing a whole lot of stuff by there only being whatever 17 percent of women in executive positions in hospitality yeah probably less than that in other industries yeah (laughs) well and we see it in politics right we see it in education um we see it in the medical field right it is something that uh, you know i I hope someone listening that might be thinking, you know, I do need more flexibility in the way that I work can hear what you suggested, right? Like just this idea of, you know, don't wait for your employer to come to you and say, Hey, I I see you're stressed out. You have to go pick up your kids. Here's what I'm going to do for you. That's really not going to happen, right? We're, Mm -hmm. We're living in an antiquated system. But if we can take the approach that you had, which is I'm not the problem, but I'm going to offer a solution if you're not seeing what you want to see in the workplace, why not offer that solution? Right. And, and I think that might just be that catalyst that needs to continue to happen. It kind of sucks that we may have to take the burden of that, but if it ends up in the result that you want, hopefully, why not? Right. We just spoke with someone on a previous episode, you know, where we talked about being that solution and providing the insights that maybe employers aren't really thinking about because they never had to. A lot yeah. of them have never had to think of a different way, but it's time that we really do need to see this continue to move forward. And yeah. if we can provide that solution, why not? And I think that's another good thing sorry, to, to take chances. Like I feel like women need to take a chance, take chances. And, and I think oftentimes women would rather leave than, than companies than take a chance and say, you know, my employer is never going to do this. Well, maybe they will. Maybe if you go to them with a proposal, they might, 
you know, they might just go for it. Yeah. yeah. I'd love to hear more actually about um, when you're going through your career, what sort of support systems you had in place to help you um, achieve all of that you've done? Because, you know, we do need to pull each other up. And so were you, did you have those mentors or those people that were able to, to guide you um, on those allies, whether they're male and female, like you talked about those things. I think it's the, the, we have to develop this support system. And I, I'd love to learn a bit more about what you had in place. Yeah, I think I had lots of support people. And when I think to who they were, I feel like a lot of them are men, actually. And maybe that's because it was a male dominated industry. But you still Um, need those allies, like you need to have them on your side, Like whether it's male or female, we still do need those allies. Yeah. And I think the other thing that I don't know if I've spoke about this but you know I think that one thing that I did too is that continual learning thing I talk about that like I did the the this the sommelier stuff to give me more recognition then I went back I did my HR designation and I always had those people to support me that would back me up so there was you know the the VP of operations for example who I worked closely with for years he was always on my side and helping me navigate things. And then in turn, then I would help other people navigate things by using his lead. Um, the, the founder and president, Peter Oliver, who I worked with for many years, he was always on my side. So I, I did for sure have those people. And when I spoke about the beginning, when I was this young manager, was it, again, same thing. I, rec- if I, I found an informal leader. I said, listen, I don't know why you're giving me such a hard time. Like, shouldn't you be helping me out here? Like we're kind of, we're similar in age. We come from you know, we both into, we both love working in restaurants. So like, instead of pushing back, why don't you just work with me and maybe we can make this a re- even better place to work. So I, I, I think it's just finding, sorry, am I answering your question? Like finding yeah. those people that, yeah, finding those people that, that, and if, if there's of course, lots of people that aren't going to support you and having to sort of, again, not care if you're not like, just move on from them and find, get other people on your side that, are also decision makers that can help you move forward mm-hmm. too. Yeah. yeah. We talk a lot about mentorship, you know, within our community at Revolution Her, we have a, a really strong mentorship uh, program that we're really passionate about. And a lot of times what we hear is just this, you know, sometimes it's not even someone you think of in the moment as, wow, you know, he's mentoring me or she's mentoring me. And that person is, you know, guiding me along the way. It's not until after you kind of step back and think, wow, that person actually took me under their wing and really showed me the way on how to be a good leader, not a boss, but an actual leader mm-hmm. and inspiring other people. Right. So what would you say are some of the qualities you look for in a good leader and that you aspire to show as a good leader? I think the, the one main thing I would say is being, I guess if you would ask people that I've helped through the thing, that would be the, the fact that you're bringing people in and surrounding yourself and not always just looking out for you. You're also trying to, to work with other people around you. You're, you're taking their ideas, you're including them in things. You're, I, I think that's, and that's, you, you see even now with companies that have higher retention rates, um, you know, through COVID, the people that were able to keep their employees were the ones that did have those leaders in place that sat down with their staff, 
once a week and asked what they needed and asked what they were doing right and what they were doing wrong and always including everyone in the decisions so le- that leaders don't have to, like I guess as we were saying, difference between a leader and a manager, a leader isn't someone that's like pointing down and telling you what to do. It's someone that's also getting advice and getting insight from the other people. And I think when I think of to your question, the people that I'm, as I'm thinking of who they were, those were, that's what they did. They always made sure to include me in the decision-making or whether or not you use the people's suggestions or do what they do, you're feeling part of the process. Yeah. And I think that's what I always try to do. Um, and it also, it, it just helps with so much of the workplace culture, especially now when, you know, there's a huge labor shortage and all you need to do is talk to people and get them invested and get them engaged and excited about working there. And yeah. I think that's what all my mentors did as well. I just find it so fascinating too, that within an industry, you know, I, I used to be a waitress for a couple of years and within an industry where you can really fall in love with being in that industry so quickly. And, you know, it opens up so many doors in terms of possibility, but as we look towards, you know, changing it from a male dominated industry to really, it doesn't have to be a female dominated industry, but it, let's find that parity somewhere in the middle. Let's find that equity and continue to see women as leaders in the industry. You know, what are, we'll we'll kind of close on this before we hit on rapid fire, but what are some ways that anyone listening myself, I'm not in the industry, Grace, you know, what can we do to help inspire women to continue to work towards that success, whatever industry it might be, if they're finding that they're in a male dominated space and they're really struggling to find their voice or find their confidence. I think stuff like this, I think it's all about conversations and making it known and talking about it and bouncing ideas off each other. Like I said before, I don't think it has to be people in the same industry. I think it's just women that are, you know, invested in making the workplace and work environments just a better place for women. So I think just having those conversations and shooting around ideas and supporting people and being sort of a a listening, even if you don't know what they're talking about, just listening and providing whatever sort of feedback or advice. I think that's a big thing is just women together. Like, like we said before, if workplaces aren't going to change, they are probably the problem, but then we need to sort of band together and make sure that we are, supporting each other and talking about it and to your point like things like this or these conferences we have or informal sit-downs with people or calling someone or linking in with someone that you think is looks inspiring or have a coffee just it's just that conversation and talking and, and really lift I guess really lifting women up and because it can get discouraging I think for a lot of people it's discouraging to see that you know where am I going to go from here it's all men up there but just having that support, I think, and the ability to talk about it is a huge help. Yeah. Yeah. Women, I mean, we keep saying, right, it's so important to share women's stories. Yeah. And and it sounds like, you know, we just had the Day of the Girl, for example, and we have International Women's Day, and we do have so many opportunities to do this, but it feels like it's not enough. We need to continue doing it. So I love that um, 
we're on the same page for sure. Yeah. Good, great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, I love the lifting up. I, I think that's so important. So, and having that support, just to reiterate what you said, you know, having that support system, those allies, and then lifting up as we're going. It's, it's all so important. Do you know what that reminded me of, Grace? So Val, recently we had a summit and our very first speaker, is our, it was our back to first back to in-person event since before COVID. Um, we welcomed just close to, you know, 400 women. And our very first speaker on the first day of the event, uh, I don't know if you know her, but Vivian Kay, she, if you don't know her, go look her up. She's been on our podcast as well. And she mentioned, you know, pulling up as you climb and just this idea that, That's it, yeah, right. That a lot of men, Absolutely. men do it all the time, right. Men have their football buddies that, you know, or their golf buddies that when they're promoted, guess who they're going to pull up with them into a position to be their right hand man. And that's something that a lot of women don't necessarily think is the right thing to do, but it absolutely is. If you see a a young woman or you see any woman who is perfect for a job, you know that they're capable and you know they're experienced pull them up with you as you climb. It's so give them a chance. Give them a chance. Even if they're not ready at that, that was also always something we spoke about. Even if you're not ready at that time, it's better. Like, even if they're not really ready, pull them up because that's all they need is that little thing. And maybe they yeah. are ready. Even if they're not yeah, ready. yeah. For sure. yeah. It's that jet engine fuel to get them going. Yeah. Oh, this was such a fun chat. Um, all right. So we're not done yet because we do have some rapid fire questions for you. And, Uh-oh. and these are just, fun. <laughs> everyone always seems worried, but they're super fun questions just to kind of close out and give uh, our listeners just a little bit more insight into who you are um, and what makes you tick. So I'm going to kick things off. um, And I want to start with self-care because it's been a topic that's come up a lot. What does self-care mean to you? Hmm. I'm a bad one for this one because I feel like, again, that's my personality where I just like, go, go, go. And I probably don't self-care enough. I, I, I read a lot. I go to the gym. I spend time with friends. Nothing very, you know, earth shattering. I don't think, and no new news. That's perfect, though. That, yeah. That's perfect. But you make time to do those things that you need. Yeah. So it's yeah. And I'm very yeah. social. I go out a lot. Maybe that's it. I'm, I'm. That's probably why I'm in the hospitality industry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love it. So I my one. So what's top on your bucket list? Hmm. I think my, well, I, I just automatically assume travel, I guess oh, overall. Anywhere. Yeah. yeah. I've been very fortunate to travel around the world. I think it's getting back to that again. And I'd also like to do some sort of work component with that. So I just recently started um, volunteering with a group and they do overseas placements for two, for two weeks somewhere. In, I would probably be Africa because there's a lot of English speaking countries where it's would be something I for two weeks help. So I'm traveling. But I'm yeah. also giving backs and it's usually because hospitality is, you know, an international thing. It would be HR stuff in hospitality. So I can sort of, yeah. so that's my thing. I think that, yeah, that would be my thing for sure. Being able to combine those two things that I love is like giving back and being able to help somewhere, but also integrating somehow yeah. that sort of travel piece too. Yeah. It's that learning. It's that constant learning, being open to do things, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes, for sure. So where's been your favorite place to travel to? Hmm. I'm always partial to Australia just because I lived there for a few years. Um, but you know, I, 
Buenos Aires was amazing. Uh, Bali and Indonesia was, there's, I mean, I think there's just so many things. There's, there's so many places to go and do, and they're all my favorite, but I would say probably Sydney, but that's kind of biased. I live there and I work there and friends there. And yeah. Yeah. But it's still beautiful. Okay. It is beautiful. A beach at a city. You can't beat yeah. that. Taking a subway to a beach. I always love the trains. The subways had like sand on them and people with their surfboards. Can you imagine that happening in Toronto? <laughs> Not even. <laughs> Australia is on my bucket list for sure. Yeah. So when was the last time you did something for the first time? Oh, jeez. I don't know. Oh, you do. You're a constant learner. You're always growing and learning. What have you learned recently? If it's not been something you've done. Hmm. Something I've learned or something I've done. I got a tattoo. I got a tattoo for the first time. There There you go. go. What did you get a tattoo of? I got my, yeah, my kids' initials. And then I, yeah, my kids' initials, they're two first, they're two front. It's always something I wanted to do, but I just did it. That's, I can't really think of, I'm sure I'm doing lots of things. That's pretty awesome, I think. Yeah, I think so. That's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good. (laughs) All right. Mine's a two-parter. So I want to know what's the worst piece of advice you've ever been given and then follow that up with the best piece of advice. Hmm. Worst piece of advice is, I think you may like that live um, embryo at the at a sushi restaurant in um, Japan. Oh, and it was uh, like it was. Uh, but, but I don't know if that's advice. But I actually went there pre-eating, so I didn't have to eat the crazy food. And then they found out, and the advice was, you, you need to try it. This is very. This isn't. You know, this was very mild. It'd be a good. And it was like still wriggling and stuff. I don't know. That was a bad. I think that was a bad piece of advice. <laughs> but are we talking about? Unless we're talking about career advice. No, um, career advice. advice. I think someone. I think they. Someone when I was in high school, I think my guidance counselor told me a good a good um, career for me would be like a dental hygienist or something, which I think would be a bad career thing for me because it would be not doesn't involve people. So that was bad advice. Good advice would be I think when I uh, same thing when I was at um, Canoe and I think it was the president of the company at the time. Someone said, told me that I had, oh no, it wasn't. Sorry, I was, I was taking a wine course and I knew something to do with wine. And someone noticed that I had a really good nose. Like I was really good at smelling things. The very entry level of really basic course. And, and they specifically came up to me and said, you know, and they gave me that advice that this is something that you should pursue. Um, and there was, again, not very many women in that. And it was a woman, a woman that was sitting beside me and her and I were talking about it. And I think that was pursuing that would be, and that helped me again through my whole career because it gave me like, you know, street cred or whatever that I had. I was HR person with a Somali designation. So that was a great piece of advice because it opened up all sorts of opportunities, I think, for me in my yeah. career. Love awesome. Mm-hmm. Not the embryo, but I love this. Not the embryo. No. <laughs> I can't think of yeah, I can't think of a bad career advice. But I'm sure there was lots of that too. You're good. What scares you? Like gives you the heebie-jeebies. Oh, makes you know the it makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. Like flying. Whenever I think of, when I hear people flying those really tiny planes, like that, mm. that kind of thing. Like I hate. That's my worst nightmare. If 
if someone or going on a cruise, like anything that's small, that's out there, I don't like to do that. And that makes yeah. me, that, that freaks me out. And even if someone would just like, I would literally pay so much extra money not to have to fly in a tiny little, like yeah. it, it, it just makes, it does make me, it, yeah. So you didn't me. do a bungee jump or a skydive thing. No, no, Australia. no, that's right. And no, in New Zealand, that's a big thing. I went to New Zealand. Everyone's doing that in Queenstown. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, not a chance. That that's that really does. And as I got older, it started to freak me out even more, like the flying thing or having yeah. kids or something. But that it really, that really does freak me out. It's I would so not funny how we we're all afraid of something, yeah. aren't we? So I love <laughs> it. It changes over time too. Yeah. Right? All right, I'm gonna give you your last one. What would your theme song be? Mm-hmm. Valerie Call on Me by Steve Winwood. Is that a good one? Ooh. You know that one? Yes, I do. It is my theme song because that's my name in it. I love oh, it. Oh, yeah. Do you know what we need to do? A compilation of everybody's theme We songs. really should. Yeah, because there's been some really good ones. I love it. That's great. That's a great one. Yeah. Oh, this has been such a great chat, Val. We've loved talking with you about you know, your journey through the hospitality industry and just forging your way through a male dominated landscape. It's really inspiring. And we hope that anyone who's been listening has been inspired by your journey and can continue on their own. Um, You know, for anyone out there, if you're listening and listening to Val today has empowered you to go and do those things you want to do, please feel free to share this episode with three other women. That's our ask at the end of every episode, because together we really can continue to inspire and uplift one another. That's, that's what we need to do, right? As women collectively. Yeah. No one else is going to do it for us. Let's do it for each other. So um, thank you so much for being here, Val. And we look forward to continuing to watch your success uh, throughout. Thank you. Thank career. you. That was great. Thank, nice to meet you. Thank you for your time. And that was lots of fun to talk about all that stuff. So thank you. There you go. You're see, it wasn't so yeah. bad. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. Right. Well, we'll see everyone next time. Thanks so much for being here. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.